right. Hey, let me say good morning to our friends in the family room who are joining us now as we're going to talk through the scriptures together. Nice to see you guys. Glad you're here. Uh, I'm going to see you guys at the end of our gathering. I'll be over there to say hi at the end of the gathering today. So God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, Let's see. Oh, next weekend, before we get off the the subject of uh, schedules and things like that, next weekend when you come for the 9 o'clock gathering, both if you're in the family room today or if you're here, come early because it's going to be crowded at that 9 o'clock hour and wear your grubby clothes because we're going to go out and serve afterwards. So permission granted to come to church in work clothes or what I would say comfortable clothes. Okay? All right. So we're starting a new series today and... uh, The series is called Myths We Love to Believe. There's certain ancient myths out there, and some of those myths, it seems like we just enjoy believing them. Uh, Last fall, we did a series called The Gospel According to Job. Many of you were with us when we did that. We spent about four weeks going through this Old Testament book called Job, and Job is a drama all about suffering and how do we relate to God and to others in the midst of that. And in that story, at the end of that story, there's a little statement in chapter 2 Verse 7, that says this. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. I read that passage years and years ago, and the translation that I read it in said it more like this. God said, I am angry with you because you have not spoken of me what is right. And as someone who's responsible to stand up in front of the church and say, this is what God says, and this is who God is, it's a terrifying verse. It's like God says, I'm angry with you because you have not spoken of me what is right. And I've been praying ever since I read that. It's like, God, if I'm going to be a teacher, if I'm going to be a speaker of your word and of your heart and tell people, this is who God is, please let me say what's true about you. Because to misrepresent God would be a horrifying thing in my perspective. So please let me say what's true about you. See, the challenge is human beings often misrepresent God. We don't say things sometimes that are true about God. Have you ever been misrepresented? Yeah, it's not fun, right? Sometimes because I teach in public, people come to me, you know, they'll say, oh, that sermon you gave three months ago and you said this and this and this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't even believe that, much less did I ever say that in a sermon, but it gets ascribed to me. And it's like a, it's a little misrepresentation of what I said. Imagine how that goes with God when the whole human race misrepresents him, says things about God that are not true. And God says to the people that were around Job, he says, you have not spoken of me what is right. Like, man, I, don't, I do not want to misrepresent God. When I was in college, I had a chance to take a class in Greek mythology. It was a fascinating class about Greek culture and the gods that they worshipped and the stories they told about them and those kinds of things. And it was just very interesting to, to hear what their gods were like and who these people were they, they worshipped. And I found some images and statues and different things that the Greeks had of, of, of these gods that they worshipped. All the things I'm going to show you are not necessarily old, but they portray these old Greek gods, right? So the first one I want to show you is a picture of a god named Hermes. That is Hermes. I'm like, I want to know who his physical trainer is. And I want to know where he buys his shoes. Because I would like a pair of those shoes. Pretty cool. He's a messenger of the gods. Next one I want to show you is a goddess by the name of Artemis. Artemis was the goddess of the Ephesians. And she was also known as the goddess of fertility. And so those things in this area are breasts. And so we should move on because now we're seeing porn in church not appropriate so and then there's um the there's zeus the king of the gods 
right? Zeus was in charge of all the gods on Mount Olympus, and in his right hand in this statue used to be there was a lightning bolt there because Zeus was the one who could throw down lightning, which is really cool. Human beings love it when somebody can throw down, right? So it's pretty cool. We still worship modern gods today who can throw it down. Interesting how the pose remains the same after all these years. And it happens because we tend to create gods in our own image. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and he, and he got down to the sixth day of creation, and he said, I'm going to create human beings. And he says, let us create humanity, human beings, in our own image. God said, I'm going to create human beings in my image. And ever since we rejected God and walked away from him in the Garden of Eden, ever since then, we have been trying to recreate God in our image. We've been trying to make God just like us so that he looks like us, so that he feels like us, so that he behaves like us. And if you go back and read the stories of the Greek gods, you will find a lot of sin and a lot of carnage and a lot of mess-ups because they created their gods in their own image. And they misrepresented God. Sometimes we think that myths about God are not really They're not really all that much of a problem. They're sort of benign. It's not that big of a deal. But every time we create a God in our own image, we take a step away from truth about God. And every time we step away from truth about God, we step down. We take a step downward. Because truth about God is the pinnacle of reality. And every time we step away from reality about God, we step downward. God says, You have not spoken of me what is right, and I'm not happy with you because of that. See, myths come with consequences in our our behavior. If you have a, a certain opinion about God and his holiness, your opinion of God's holiness might move you to say, well, I'm going to shape my actions in life because of God's holiness. But if you don't understand his holiness well, you might come to the conclusion, okay, God is holy, holy, holy. That means I guess I should never go to dances and parties and bars, because that wouldn't be holy. And some people take that, they take that track. But then if you look at the New Testament, you find the story of Jesus, and you find that Jesus went to those kinds of places. And you're like, well, does Jesus not understand God is holy, holy, holy? Or do we misunderstand how holiness is applied? See, there are identity myths about God, myths about who God is, and there are activity myths about people who are followers of God. So we believe myths about his identity. It leads to myths in our behavior as followers of God. So there are consequences when we believe things that are not true about God. And sometimes those, those myths lead to a lot of pain and a lot of bad behavior. I want to talk today about the first myth. We're going to, in this series, myths we love to believe. We're going to talk about five different myths. So over the next five weekends, five different myths. And today I want to start with one that kind of relates to women. In fact, it relates strongly to women and to the rest of us. And you'll see why I say to the rest of us in in a few minutes. But let me just start with this. Myth number one says, God wants women to submit to men. Myth number one, God wants women to submit to men. And sometimes you hear it a little bit more specifically stated, God wants wives to submit to their husbands. And sometimes some of you might go, well, I think that's in the Bible. Hold that thought because we're going to come to that passage in a moment and we're going to try and talk that through. But because of this myth, sometimes bad behavior comes out. Sometimes pain comes out. Sometimes, Sometimes we as men begin to act like cavemen, if you understand what I mean.
And yeah, and I know sometimes we give approval to it. And some of you would say, I'd like to turn the page on this thing and see it differently. <laughs> some of you ladies are like, yeah, I like it that way. <laughs> right? I know, I know. Hold that thought. Because <laughs> sometimes it's not funny. I mean, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not so funny. There was a time back 20 years ago when an organization called Promise Keepers was sweeping the landscape of the United States. Christian men were flocking to these conventions known as Promise Keepers. And they're having these, these big gatherings in public coliseums. Like we took a group from Lakeside Church 20 years ago to the Oakland Coliseum. There's 50,000 guys there, this wonderful, engaged group of guys. And there's like... Tell me, how do I become a man of God? How do I serve God? How do I do it? Help me. And, and they had these great teachers and preachers come in and just help men really take the next steps as followers of Christ, as men. It was fantastic. Except that in the early 90s when Promise Keepers was going forward, uh, reports began to come out that every time Promise Keepers hosted an event in a region, Spousal abuse in that region went up. And you're like, how is that possible? Because nobody at Promise Keepers was telling men, go home and abuse your spouse. That was not happening. That was not being taught. But somehow some of those actions were related. And it's because we misunderstand the concept of wives submit to your husbands. So it matters that we get this right. It matters that we teach this and understand this well. The challenge with myths, one of the challenges with myths, is that myths hold truth. Every myth you hear about a God, every story you would hear about a God, in whatever culture, every myth comes with truth. Just like most lies come with truth. If someone came up and told you a straight-up lie, 100% not true, you would look at them and you'd say, that is 100% not true. The reason we get suckered into lies and believing lies is because they, because they come with some truth and some error, some truth and some falsehood. When Satan wants to slip a lie in amongst God's people, he always slides it in in a sleeve of truth. So you look at the outside and you go, oh, that looks true. And then you dig into it a little bit and you find out that the inside is not true. And that's the case with myth number one. Let me read a scripture passage for you that describes this. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, let me read starting at verse 21. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's some on the chairs near you. You're welcome to use one of those. You're welcome to have one of those. So go ahead and take advantage of that. Ephesians chapter 5 And let me start reading at verse 21, and let's see if we can figure this out and get beyond the myth. Verse 21, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me me stop and read that again. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That's good. Close the book. <laughs> what, were you reading ahead? Let's just, let's just stop there for a minute and just see what's going on with that so far. What it says is God, what we say is God wants wives to submit to their husbands. 
And I would say from that passage of Scripture, that is undeniable. And so you say, well, wait, Brad, you told us that was a myth. Now you're saying you think it's true. Well, it's pretty clear. He says it twice. He says, I want wives to submit to their husbands. But God's picture of what he wants is, according to Ephesians chapter 5, is much bigger than that. Really what God wants is he wants males and females, men and women, to submit to one another. The theologians have a principle for this. They call it the principle of mutual submission. The principle of mutual submission, where we say we submit to one another. Last fall, again, before we did the series on Job, we did a little series called Text. Do you remember it? We did a series talking about the Bible and where it came from and how do we interpret it. And one of the things we talked about in that series was when you want to interpret the Bible like any kind of literature, you should always make sure that you understand the context that something is in. Never take a sentence out of the Bible and go, And then try and figure out what it means all by itself. Always keep it in its context. And the larger the context you can find around it, the better off you'll be in interpreting that. So instead of just taking that one little sentence, wives submit to your own husbands, and taking it right out of context, let's go back and look at the context that it's in. And let's start again with verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is an overarching theme in the scriptures that is stated in this sentence that says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The story of the New Testament is about submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the banner statement in this passage. But the passage is not one sentence long. The passage goes from chapter 5, verse 21 to chapter 6, verse 9. It's a long passage, and all that's in there goes into the interpretation of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In fact, what happens is he gives that overriding statement, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and then he gives three pairings as you go through this passage, three couples of people who are supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what you find is there's, there's a statement about wives and husbands. That comes first. And then after that, there's a statement about children and parents and that they should be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And some of you go, huh? I, I, get that, I get the children thing, but what about the, what about the parents thing? We'll come back to that in a minute. And then it goes on to the next one, which is the most shocking of the three couplings of, of people, and that is slaves and masters. He says, I want you to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's the overall statement, I want you to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. And when you understand the flow of that, you begin to see what Paul's trying to get to when he talks about submitting to one another. When you come to those three pairings, the one about husbands and wives is the least shocking. Because when you get down to masters and slaves, you go, well, sure, slaves should submit to their master. We get that. We don't have slaves in our culture anymore. We understand that. We have a dark blot on our history with slavery We don't allow that anymore in our culture, but we still understand the concept that if if there is a slave and if there is a master, man, the slave ought to be obedient and, you know, respectful of of his master, but you would never expect it to go the other way around. Paul says, yes, it should. We'll come back to that one as well. The principle is mutual submission. It's the It's the God-given calling for every Christ-honoring marriage. 
It's the Christ, it's the God-given calling for every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. We would say, I will submit to others in the family of God out of reverence for Christ. It's a calling that we have. Unfortunately, because wives come first out of those out of those three couplings, because wives come first, we sort of landed on that and we go, that's what's supposed to happen. But we misrepresented the whole context of what Paul's written to us. So here's the story. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that brings up two questions for me. Question number one is, why? I mean, why does that sound good to God? Why does that sound like something God wants us to do? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Sort of, sort of except for the Christ part, sort of sounds a little barbaric. Submit to somebody or whatever that looks like. I want to know why, and I want to know how. If we can answer why effectively, then I want to know how. So let's deal with why first. Paul's very clear about it. He says, I want you to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you believe in Jesus, if you trust Jesus, if you want to honor and revere Jesus, he says, then I want you to submit to one another in the church family, in the Christian family. There's another myth about God that goes like this. God always wants to be in charge. Now, we don't say that one very often, but it's this, it's this myth that sort of floats around in our head. God always wants to be in charge. And when you think about it, that's a good thing. I mean, right? Who in your row would you like to be in charge today if God were not? Look at the people in your row. Would you vote for any of them to be in charge? You wouldn't. And you wouldn't vote for the guy up front to be in charge either. You, you, you just wouldn't, right? So we're all fine with God being in charge. The problem is we look at God and we go, God always wants to be in charge. He's like, he's the bossy God. He just wants to be in charge of everybody. But in reality, that's not true. That's not how God presents himself in the scriptures. Let's look at the life of Jesus. There's this interesting statement about Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Uh, Actually, Jesus is talking. Jesus often referred to himself as the son of man. So here's what Jesus says. He says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served. There are certain people in this world who love to be served. There's about 500 of them right here in the room. About another 100 of you in the family room, I'm thinking, right? There's there's a lot of people in the world that love to be served. I love to be served. That's awesome. And in certain ways in my life, I get to be served. It's pretty cool. But the Bible says Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for others. Do you think when Jesus came into this world, he left heaven, the Bible says he left heaven, came to this world. Do you think Jesus changed his character when he came into this world? Do you think he stopped being who he normally was when he existed in heaven as the son of God? Do you think when he came to earth, he stopped being who he was and became someone different? Or do you think that his character stayed the same? Wouldn't you say that if his character changed, it would have been for his detriment? 
Wouldn't you say that if Jesus' character changed and now he was misrepresenting himself? We believe Jesus' character stayed the same. So when he came to earth and it said he came not to be served but to serve, that was his character. And so some people go, oh, well, that's, that's how it goes in because in the, in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there's a chain of command. There's God who's in charge. Like God the Father, he's in charge. And then Jesus submits to the Father and the poor Holy Spirit, he's got to submit to both of them. Except that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the writer says this, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is just like the Father. In fact, Jesus told his disciples in the last night of his life when he was in the upper room with them, he said, The Son only does what he has already seen the Father doing. The Bible says Jesus is exactly like the Father. So when Jesus came not to be served but to serve, that's the character of God. That's the nature of God. He doesn't want to be the boss. He doesn't want to be the the one in charge. He is in charge, but doesn't hang on to that. Instead, he is among us to serve. What is that? That's, That's Jesus submitting to the Father, but that's Jesus submitting to us. To lift us up. Every time we decide to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it's a spiritual decision. And every time you make that kind of a spiritual decision, you live in the blessing of God. I will submit to others out of reverence for Christ. That's a decision that brings the blessing of God. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, my next question, if that's true, if that's what God wants, my next question is, how do we do that? Because it still, it still sounds like, oh, that sounds hard, or that sounds like it's undesirable, or I'm not sure I want to do that. How do I do that? How do I make that thing work in my life? Well, let's just take the word, first of all. Let's take the word, submit. What does that look like? We got pictures in our head of what that looks like, right? What does that look like? Literally, the word means to place one thing under another. To place one thing under another. That's what it means to submit. Right now, this platform was placed under my feet. The platform submits to me. You're like, big deal, it's just underneath your feet. Yeah, it's underneath me to hold me up. That's all submission is. It's to place something under something else to hold it up. So whenever you come to a place, you go, I'm going to submit to somebody else out of reverence for Christ. You're simply saying, I'm going to place myself under someone else to lift them up. And that's the general statement. And then Paul goes back and he makes these three coupling statements of these three different kinds of relationships. He says, I want you to do it in these relationships. Let's start at the end of those relationships and see how it works there. So in chapter 6, verse 5 through 9, there's slaves and masters. And we don't have slaves and masters in our culture anymore. And so let's talk about employees and employers. 
Right, let's just put, it, just put it in that context so we sort of get this, all right? He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear or respect and honor with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. There's marching orders for those of you who are employees. If you have a boss, if you have a supervisor, there's marching orders. Obey your boss, your earthly boss, with respect and honor or fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And if you've been a Christian very long, you go, yeah, 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 that's right. That's how we should do it. That's a good way to be a Christian employee. Right on. Now look at the shocking verse, verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. See, we recognize with masters and slaves, there's this hierarchy. But Paul turns that upside down. He goes, masters, I want you to treat your slaves in the same way. Really? Yeah, he says, I want you to treat them with respect and honor, with sincerity of heart, as you would obey Christ. As you would treat Christ, I want you to treat them the same way. I want you to lower yourself to put others up. How many of you would love to work for an organization, for a company, in an industry, whatever, when, where the bosses lowered themselves to lift their employees up? Would that be a good place to work? Be awesome. Does it happen all the time? No. It should happen among those who are followers of Christ. Let's go backwards up the chain that he's talking about here, this list that he's talking about. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, he talks about children and fathers or children and parents. And so in verse 1, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And now he's quoting the fifth commandment. So you go, he's like, uh, obey your parents and honor your father and mother. And all you parents are like, yeah, that's how it should go. Right on. And I agree, that's Beautiful, but then he says to fathers in verse 4, and fathers, do not exasperate your children, which means to make them so angry that they are beside themselves with anger. Don't do that. But bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What's the training and instruction of the Lord? It is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It means to lower yourself beneath your children to lift them up. How amazing would it be to be in a family as a child where your mom and dad lower themselves to lift you up? One of the gifts I have in my life these days is my youngest daughter is living with us. She's getting married in nine weeks, and, uh, and she's over in the family room, I believe. Morning, sweetie. And... Uh, so she's getting married in a few months, a couple of months now, and, uh, and she's also getting ready to take the actuary test. This next Saturday, she's taking the actuary test. I don't know if you know what an actuary is, but an actuary is a person who, lo- who works with large numbers and is really, really smart. That's actuary. And so she's taking the test, and it's like, it's like the bar exam for, a, for an attorney. It's really, really hard. And so I said, recently I said, hey, sweetie, can I, can I help you with this thing? Because it seems pretty hard. Is there any, you know... I stopped taking math in 11th grade in high school. I haven't had a math class in from, from years. So, you know, I don't know anything about math anymore. I, I said, can I help you? She goes, I got flashcards. I got 60 flashcards. Can you, can you just go through them with me? I, I'm like, can I read them? I don't even know how to read math. She goes, you, you just have to read it and tell me if I said it right. So she explained the terminology and the symbology and all the stuff that goes with that. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I'll try. And so she just, she starts working through her flashcards. And so Last couple nights this week, I'm like, okay, sweetie, it's flashcard time. Let's go through the flashcards. So it's like we're back in second grade again. 
and I'm just trying my best to be in a spot where I can place myself lower than my daughter to lift her up. Now, in our culture, that's not really shocking because a lot of us do that with our kids because this scripture has taken hold in us. But in the first century, when Paul wrote this, this was revolutionary. And that's what it looks like to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, back that up one more couple and now talk about wives and husbands. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And yes, he starts by saying, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That means, ladies, your calling from God is to, is to lower yourself before your husband to lift him up. Whatever you can do to lift him up, to honor him, as you would Jesus, that's what God calls you to. It's an amazing standard. And sometimes there's fear with that because women say, well, if I did that, my husband will abuse me. If I did that, my husband will take advantage of me. It won't go well. And that's highly possible because when Jesus lowered himself, he actually was nailed to a cross because he lowered himself to lift others up. So yes, it's entirely possible. It's also possible that if you have a Christian husband who looks at that scripture and says, oh, it's not just about wives submitting to their husbands. It's about loving, husbands loving their wives See, Paul goes on, and in the description of what it means to submit to one another, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus submitted himself to the church. He lowered himself before the church to lift the church up. And in the process, he is working to make his bride perfectly clean, without wrinkle, without blemish, without brokenness. So on the wedding day, she comes down the aisle and she is stunning. Because her husband, Jesus, lowered himself to lift her up. In a world of insecurity, we often put others down to lift ourselves up. We think sometimes the only way for us to rise is to put others around us down. Sometimes this happens in marriages. We put our, our spouse down to lift ourselves up. Paul says, could we do that differently? It would make your marriage a lot more healthy if we do that differently so that both partners in the marriage say, I will lower myself to lift up you. I will lower myself to lift you up. I believe you have never seen a healthy marriage where mutual submission was not happening. Even if the couple didn't know what it was called, you have never seen. You think about the marriages that you know in your life. You, you pick out, right now, pick out the healthiest marriage you can ever remember seeing. I guarantee you that in that marriage, they were practicing mutual submission. Not one person saying to the other, I'm the head. You have to be submissive to me. That's not healthy, nor is it biblical. Calling from God on our lives as married people and as Christ followers in general 
is that we lower ourselves to lift the other up. And if you're married and you want a healthy marriage, start right there. And if you work with Christians in a work environment, start right there. In your family, start right there. And when we practice that principle of mutual submission, that's when we begin to live healthy in our marriages and in our lives. I want you to take every day this week, whether you're married or not, it doesn't matter. You can apply this. I want you to take every day this week, I want you to find one way. If you are married, I want you to find one way to lower yourself, to lift your spouse up. If you're not married, I want you to find one way to lower yourself, to lift someone else up. And see what God does in your heart and in theirs. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us like you do and for showing us what you're like and what's the truth about you. Lord, I'm grateful that in the scriptures you've given us truth about you. And I pray that we would live this out. Lord, I pray for those women among us who over the years of their life, they've heard this topic and maybe they've allowed themselves to be uh, abused or in some ways, maybe not physically, maybe, but beaten up because they've allowed someone else to say, I'm in charge and you have to submit to me. Lord, can we, get, can we get past that understanding? Can we get to the place where every one of us realizes that your truth says that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Could we do that? And Lord, could we have your grace as well as we have your example of how to do that? Lord, I pray for every one of my friends in both rooms today that you would bless us and lead us on the path of mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. Amen.